Let's get into our 10 o'clock conversation and we're focusing on access to mental health care services, in particular for children. Let me invite onto the show uh, Jared Langen, who is the CEO of Community Keepers. Jared, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Morning, Kathy. Thank you uh, for inviting us. Amanda van der Feyfer is an educational psychologist. Amanda, good, good morning to you as well. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you. I was saying earlier that there is so much about a modern world that contributes to an environment of toxicity, especially for children that they have to grow up in. And sometimes it's really in things that we don't question. So it's in the use of technology, it's in the kind of food that children are eating, et cetera, et cetera. So all of the conveniences that come with being part of the 21st century in many ways also then are feeding into a, a toxic environment that ultimately leads to children having all sorts of um, issues around their mental wellness. Amanda? Yes, um, I agree. There's so many things that we have to look at we, um, or look out for. We normally say the child is not just um, a system on its own, but um, they're all within systems and social systems and systems at the school. If we look at the referral reasons for kids that come to our offices, we see that a lot of it is because of strained and broken relationships, grief, um, and, and we see that, that many, many different aspects of, of modern life, like you said, is, is causing distress. Um, and we said most of our learners, if not all, suffer some kind of distress because of the environments they are living with and um, in and the, the type of um, traumas they are facing in those, in those environments. How is this affecting and impacting educational outcomes? So I will say um, the one thing that we see is that when, when learners are faced with difficulties and distress, is that the, it affects the bodies. So we might see learners in class that we label as either naughty or um, they don't they can't concentrate or we think they are lazy. But what we know is that it's actually um, effects of those those distress and those those difficulties that they're experiencing. So we see learners that maybe can't concentrate, they can't sit still, so they can't really learn because their frontal cortex is not not in place because they're in survival mode to fight these um, difficulties that they are surrounded with. And in many ways, it is. It also requires us understanding the workings of the brain, in able then to make sense of why there are these types of responses. Yes, definitely. We we try when we see our learners, and that we we realize that they are under some kind of distress. And so we do some psychoeducation with with learners and with parents and with teachers for everybody in that child's environment to understand um, how the brain is maybe in survival mode. We we all know about the fight, flight, freeze reactions um, our bodies can have when we experience trauma. And like you said, sometimes it's not it's not really the the event, but it's your reaction to the event. So something that might be easy to cope with for one learner might be really difficult and have a have a quite an um, adverse effect on that learner's functioning in the classroom and then on his educational outcomes. Mm. Jared, you know, in, in depending on the age of a child, sometimes minors don't always have the language to 
um, speak about and express what it is that they're going through and fully express the emotions. How do parents and guardians then play a role there? Sure, Kathy, that, that is a very good question. I think for starters, um, I would suggest or I would like to um, advocate for parents just to be with their kids. I think there's such a lot of um, work that can be done literally through playing, literally through just being with your child. Um, we don't need to be psychologists. We just need to be parents. We just need to be attentive parents. And I know we're all living in hectic lives, but um, ultimately it's about spending that time um, making the child feel safe. Uh, that's that's probably the bottom line. We call about we we call it attachment, and um, that that is the that's the starting point for healthy relationships in future in in future life or in in adult life. Um, it's the starting point for somebody feeling confident in themselves, um, having a positive identity, and and ultimately it starts literally with a parent saying and being present for their kids. You're talking about time, which is something that. Many parents, of course, uh, say they don't have. And in fact, they make up for not having that time by just bombarding their children with stuff, all sorts of stuff that can distract them from the fact that they are not present. And and I'll get your views on that in a moment. We're looking at the uh, mental health care and, and well-being of children. Uh, well, let's take a quick break. We continue the conversation with our guests. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're talking about um, ensuring that children have access to mental health care. Jared Langen is with the CEO of Community Keepers. Amanda van der Feyfer is an educational psychologist. Jared, I, I just want to stay with, with this issue of parents, their availability and the need to be able to spend time with children because that's really where the bulk of the problems are stemming from. Mm, that, totally so. I think your your previous comment in terms of bombarding people or bombarding children then with things is, is spot on. Uh, things can never replace relationship. And that's, a, that's the bottom line. So if a parent thinks that that is a solution, um, it's proven that it doesn't work. And I think um, when when we look at our highest referral reason, actually within the work that we do in our schools, um, a lack of or a negative relationship is actually kind of our, our top referral reason. And when you then think about relationships and you think about spending time I think parents can be um, can be clever about how they spend their time. Um, I think I acknowledge the fact that yes, we are living in times that um, that time is precious, and often we get home um, tired and we want to have our time out. Um, so, in a sense, a parent must um, be a parent in that way and 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 make the sacrifice for starters. So, it's mm. about an attitude. It's about you know, really investing in your child's life and knowing that that time is actually valuable beyond comprehension in later years. And then being clever about it. Um, I mean, when we eat together, um, not to, for instance, do that in front of the TV, but to make that an opportunity of of actually actively engaging with our kids. Um, Also just joining in with what they are doing. I think that's, that's another brilliant idea that we can work with is where our kids are to literally go go and sit on the floor if it's a child that still plays on the floor um, 
and and just engage with them or just be with them. Don't don't even try and um, be too much of a conversationalist. Just be with them. I think another um, prime example of what we shouldn't be doing is um, I mean spending too much time disengaged, uh, sitting in front of a TV, sitting in front of a screen. Um, that that doesn't really qualify as quality and engaged time. Um, but yeah, so in in general. Um, make the sacrifice know that you are making the sacrifice and that you're making it for a good purpose um, and find the time. Jared, what are some of the things that you have found in schools about the general well-being and and conditions of children? Kathy, things are not well. Um, I, I think most of us anecdotally know and we've been speaking about it often that the COVID pandemic has been a, a very bad time for us, for most of us, if not for all of us. Um, I, I think especially the schools where we work in, we, which kind of represents kids coming from lower income areas, um, the, the challenges has been there. And I think uh, COVID has just exacerbated it, just put it on the forefront. Um, but in general, we are, are looking at a system collective system, and, and I hate to generalize, but I think I'm, I'm pretty much on, on par. If I say that currently in our schools, um, there's, there's a sense of hopelessness, there's a sense of anxiety, um, and, and it really leads towards the further reaches of anxiety and hopelessness, depression, and ultimately um, we, we're seeing, unfortunately, also a massive increase in self-harm um, incidences. Um, kids are really going to the extremes. There's a lot of grief also in our, in our schools, and it is about physical losses, but it's also about perceptual losses. It's about the perception, um, right or wrong, that there isn't a future anymore. Um, can you imagine if, if that's the loss that you have to contend with? And, and it's, not a, it's not an age thing. It's not an income thing. It's just looking at South Africa, looking at the world and saying, yeah, there's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of um, stuff left for me as a young person. Um, then I think what we also have seen is that across the board in our schools, the intensity and severity of cases has, has really increased. Um, so I don't want to bore you with, with some of the, the, the horrible details, but um, kids are really at this stage crying out for help. And unfortunately, as Amanda explains, often it um, is represented or it is shown in a way which um, can be perceived as bad behavior or naughtiness. And then when the recipient of that bad behavior or um, naughtiness is an educator who themselves are stretched to the utmost, you suddenly sit with um, actually a very explosive, volatile environment where educators are um, reacting also from their primitive brains, also in a, in a fight way. Um, and unfortunately, then kind of really not being the support that they could be to the kids, but in a sense also understandably so, because they are struggling with their own issues and trauma that they're working through. Sure. There's so much that, that you've said there that I think, you know, I want us just to unpack a little bit. Amanda, mm-hmm. when we try to understand the reasons behind these you know the, these high levels of anxiety among children are there common threats here and and, and I know the difficulty with a, a conversation like this is that we're speaking in very broad strokes 
Yeah, I think there are so many um, distresses that can lead to feelings of anxiety. And um, sometimes we can almost say it's like typical anxiety or typical stress. So if a learner is writing a test, we expect them that they might be a bit nervous. But we see sometimes that those things, those feelings of nervousness escalate into a higher sense of, of anxiety. And I think sometimes it's because they're uncertain how to cope. They don't have a lot of resilience. So we try to do a lot of preventative work um, to build resilience um, for, for learners so that they are able to cope with those, those so-called normal levels of, of stress. Um, so it does not escalate in, in higher um, sense of anxiety. But I think, you know, like since COVID, we had a lot of uncertainties around us. We're not sure what's going to happen. The pressure of um, the curriculum has increased because of the, the loss of, of school time. So, so teachers, like Harriet also said, teachers are under um, a lot of stress as well. So all of those things build up to, to this perception of I have to perform, I have to go fast. Um, and that, that, that ultimately leads to being, being quite anxious. And if you don't know then how to relieve that stress or where to go, or you feel or have the perception that there's nobody that has time to listen to you, where you can just sit and just breathe and just um, debrief um, your day or the things that you feel anxious about. Um, it is quite difficult to hold on to that and, and it kind of builds up and, and sometimes almost kind of explodes um, in a way that is then more difficult to, to, to cope with. All right, we'll continue the conversation shortly. It's just gone 10.30. Let me head over to Luanda Mame with the latest news. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Well, we continue our conversation focusing on the mental well-being and mental health care of children. Amanda van der Feyfer is an educational psychologist, part of uh, this conversation. Amanda, as, as we get ready then um, to, to conclude, I know that in many instances for parents and for educators, it is very easy to dismiss children's behaviors, especially where um, they're seen as, as being naughty, as you've described, as uh, you know, just being unable to uh, concentrate, as being irritable, to being more of a behavioral issue than having any underlying psychological aspects to it. Yes, definitely. And I think that's why it's so important to also psychoeducate um, people in school, so teachers and parents and learners themselves, so that they can all be trauma-informed and they can be aware of these difficult um, situations learners are living in and the, uh, the different um, determinants of mental health, so, so they, can, they can start identifying what are the risk factors involved in a child's life that can cause some of these behaviours and what are the protective factors that can help them? So if we if we can help equip teachers to see that and to understand that we, we then have a person in every class who can hold a learner um, in a in a different way to provide that support that they that they need. We've seen our in the schools that we are in that um, teachers have, have learned to, to to refer learners to us. Um, instead of just disciplining them, but to know that they also need support because there may be different reasons for the so-called behavioral problems that they are showing. We we try to teach them and we know that the things that you're thinking link to what you are feeling and that links to behavior. And that all behavior is some kind of communication. So when we involve teachers, when we involve parents, 
um, in our sessions, in our preventative work, in even our sessions with an intervention with our with our clients in our offices, we can also provide them with that information so that it's not only um, learners who are, are, are helped and intervened within our offices, but that can go broader um, in the community and, 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 and provide an environment of care for all of those learners um, as, they, as they try to, to navigate life. Well, it's certainly a conversation that we need to be able to have more of. Garrett, let me just give you the last word here then. Yes, Cathy, thank you. Um, I, I think, if I may, I would just like to end off with a quote um, from one of our learners, one of our clients, because ultimately they are the most important in, in our organization and in the work that we do. Um, and um, I, I think this is a bit of a, an exhortation, a bit of a, a positive note to, to parents and to all of us to say that it does not have to be bad. Um, so I'm going to quote this learner saying, I learned to take things step by step to sort out a piece at a time. I discovered how to talk about things that hurt and bother. Everything will work out over time. And for me, the positivity that came out of that um, it, it is just exactly what we would love to foster in, in schools, in young people. Um, and, th- and that is why our, our whole dream is to literally have a community keepers in every school in the country. Um, and simul- similarly um, or simultaneously, um, we've also embarked on a process where we've realized that having um, professionally trained people is actually a luxury. There are just not enough professionally trained people in the country. And um, we, we then opted for a process of training our own people, uh, specifically community-based people, um, young people who are passionate about um, children, who are passionate about their communities, and who are becoming the front runners, the frontline people in um, literally changing the narrative around mental health but also changing the narrative around who can offer mental health, um, making it a lot more accessible, making it a lot more, more destigmatized, and, and ultimately making it um, something that um, we would be able to say could be affordable and accessible mm. to every single young person in the country. All right. Gerrit, let me thank you for your time on the show as well as Amanda. That's where we're going to have to leave it for this morning with that uh, conversation. What we're going to do now.